Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, violence on the streets of Leicester between Hindus and Muslims. How much of it is due to the influence of Hindu nationalism in India? 47 people have been arrested following the weekend's incidents, and one 20-year-old man has been jailed for 10 months for possession of an offensive weapon. The immediate spark for the current tensions in the city, which has traditionally been a byword for successful multicultural relations, was an India versus Pakistan cricket match at the end of August, which led to disturbances and aggro flared again on Saturday, this time underpinned by unmistakable signs of religious hostility. Hindus have complained that their religious flags have been torn down. Muslims have been alarmed by groups of young men chanting what they regard as inflammatory slogans. The temperature has increased because of misinformation, untrue stories spread on social media, which has also acted as a recruiting sergeant for people outside the city to come and support one side or another. A group of Muslim and Hindu leaders in Leicester today called for calm and emphasised their historic bonds of friendship. We'll be hearing from Shokat Adam in Leicester. He grew up in the area where the disturbances happened. He's now a community activist with a non-profit called MEND, which stands for Muslim Engagement and Development. He believes the fires are being stoked by Hindutva, Hindu nationalism based on the subcontinent. Before we hear from Shokat, though, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper edited by Hadeep Matharu. We can report without fear or favour and hold the rich and the powerful to account because our funding comes from ordinary subscribers, people like you. There's no corporate interest or millionaire backer telling us what to say. So if you can, please subscribe to the Byline Times. Get more details at our website, bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. So welcome along then to uh, Shockat Adam. Hello, Shockat. How are you doing? You're right. Good evening. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, It's been a very, very stressful day, but yeah, thank you very much, and it's uh, great to be here. Yeah, well, listen, I know it must be a pretty terrible time, really, if you've, as you have done, grown up in Leicester, you still live in the city. Just tell me a little bit about the area where these disturbances happened and where you grew up, because from the outside, and I've lived in Leicester for a short period myself, from the outside, Leicester always looks to be one of those places where multiculturalism works very successfully. And you'd be absolutely right to think that uh, Leicester has been the byword for diversity cohesion. Yes, we've had our problems, but we are always seen as a beacon for other cities, other places around the world, in fact. Uh, We're usually held up, and it has certainly been the case. And going back to your question, the area which has been torn apart, I think, would be not an exaggeration uh, in the past few weeks was my playground. It's the place where I grew up in. And traditionally, this area of Leicester is where many migrants first moved to in the city. And it was a place where I landed uh, from Africa, along with my Hindu brothers and sisters and Sikh brothers and sisters in the 70s, uh, where everybody is aware of the of the migration from Africa, either forced or uh, by choice. So that was a city, I, uh, that was the area I grew up in. It's cohesive. We went schooling together. We grew up together. We played football together uh, and we worked together. But yes, we had our issues. Everybody, every society does, uh, but nothing to the extent and never on the line of religion. So what's happened? What's changed? 
There's multi-factors. It's not a simple binary answer to this. It would be very simplistic just to say it's one cause. Uh, I, I have uh, spoken to people on the ground. I know people on the ground. I visit that area still. There's, there, there's a, a, a very large mosque there, etc., and have friends and family there. This area is, as I explained earlier, could be described as a low socioeconomic area. So we have had many communities come into this area. So there's two strands fundamentally, which is driving what is happening in Leicester. One is we have had a very new community arrive in this city and living in this area along with everybody else. We've got housing issues, uh, socioeconomic issues, etc. They have taken possibly a little bit of time, and when I say they, I don't mean the whole community, but parts of the community, a little bit more time to settle in to the norms of the area and of the culture. So, for example, there's little nuances like nuisances like, you know, drinking, out of hours, loud music, partying, unsociable hours, uh, littering, etc., which causes friction in any community. Unfortunately, our authorities and our police, police uh, have not got a handle of this, uh, and it's allowed to fester and grow resentment between different communities. This then further increases to uh, loud music being played at prayer times, loud music being played in cars and hooting outside the mosque after cricket matches uh, on independence days, etc. So this all adds on to the angst in the community. Again, uh, the authorities could have done more, uh, the police could have done more, the community could have got together and addressed this issue. It hasn't. Individuals then drink at night, they harass or hassle uh, women going by, that's not because they're Islamophobic or, or there's anything racial. It's because they're drunk men and this is what they do. Again, then that causes friction between different communities. So this is one strand. Uh, there's that tension, but you can have that in any community, in any society, and maybe it wouldn't lead to uh, a period of violence. The second issue is one that we have not discussed in our city due to, I think, they say the biggest cause of uh, failure is success because we have been such a successful city with a formula that we've had to work together. One of the things that we haven't discussed is there has been an undercurrent of the RSS nationalism creeping into our city. So there was a divide being that, oh, we're Hindus and you're Muslim and beginning to erupt. Stop you there, Shokat, for just one moment because there may well be listeners who are unfamiliar with the RSS, who don't know what the RS is and what they stand for. So if you can give those people a little bit of a, a primer, a kind of RSS 101. RSS is a nationalistic agenda. It's not Hinduism. Hinduism is a great religion. It's one of the oldest religion, and it's generally a peaceful religion. RSS was an ideology that was formulated uh, approximately 100 years ago as a political wing uh, on Hindu vast theory, which is supremacy of the Hindu community over everybody else. So the RSS were the originators of the, the people that were against the secular formation of India. The individual that assassinated Mahatma Gandhi belonged to the RSS, RSS narrative. And now it has a political wing. Uh, which is the BJP, which is now in power in India, which is the largest democracy in the world. So that is a very, very fundamental and basic introduction to who RSS are. And, uh, yeah, and so, uh, as you say, the RSS is not Hinduism, but it has been adopted by some Hindus and is a brand of 
right-wing nationalism and is the philosophy of Narendra Modi's government at the moment. And that's made life in India in some places and at some times very difficult for Muslims in recent years. It's been horrendous for many minorities, just not Muslims. Dalits would also account for that. The Sikh community would also account for that. But the Christian community have also suffered under the RSS. But the Muslim community have come to the fore of this. And there are many accounts, verified accounts, by recognized human rights organizations, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, who have been banned from India for reporting on RSS atrocities to the Muslim community. And this uh, appears in many forms. Uh, there is something called cow vigilantism, uh, the cow being a sacred animal in India, uh, and many a Muslim has been lynched on accusation that they have had beef. There's been love jihad, uh, where Muslims have been accused of luring girls from the Hindu faith uh, as a form of conversion, and that has been outlawed in terms of if, if a, a Muslim man is seen to have been fallen in love with a Hindu lady, there has been many uh, many. Uh, documented evidence of them being beaten to death. We've seen the Gujarat riots where 20,000 plus or two, uh, people were uh, were massacred. We saw the Delhi riots a couple of years ago where there was indiscriminate killings of Muslim individuals. And there's a catalogue of incidences that are happening on the basis that you're a Muslim and I'm a Hindu. Uh, and unfortunately, it's, it's still going on until today. Yeah, and these are terrible and tragic events that should concern anybody, of, you know, anybody with any feeling anywhere in the world, but obviously will be felt by Muslims, uh, in particular, wherever they live. But these events are thousands of miles away in India. Why do you think there is a link between that kind of Hindu nationalism that the RSS represents and the events we've seen in recent weeks on the streets of Leicester? The reason why I say this is because we have recently seen, and when I say recently, uh, under the last few years, a real presence of RSS nationalism being played out on the streets of Leicester. And there are some tangible uh, examples that I can give. If we go back to the 2019 election in Leicester, we had uh, in, in the area where all these uh, troubles are happening, Traditionally, for the last two decades, if not longer, we've had a, a stronghold of Labour parliamentarian in the name of Mr. Keith Faz, which many of your listeners may be aware of. He had a majority as a Labour MP of close to 24 to 25,000. The demographics of this area would be slightly, maybe, I'm not 100% sure, let's say in favour of Hindus, 60%, Hindus, 40% Muslim. So there's a substantial Muslim community, but there's a very large Hindu community, and it's probably in that ratio there. And it's been, as I say, a, a stronghold for Labour. At the last election, Mr. Vaz did not stand and a candidate was brought in who held views uh, on Kashmir and uh, and the traditional... Uh, and her views were seen to be so abhorrent that there was a overseas friends of BJP canvassing on the streets of Leicester recommending that all the individuals there should not vote for Labour because a vote for Labour would be a vote for Muslims. Uh, and this was leafleting through my door, obviously by not the official candidate leafleting, but uh, I have leaflets still today that said that if you voted on the day, you have a choice of either vote, voting for purity uh, or you have a choice of voting for poison. 
Purity being the Tory candidate, Poison being the Labour candidate, on the basis solely because Labour Party had become the party of the Muslims. On the back of that, we had Labour councillors resign their post because they felt that the Labour Party was a Muslim party and not a Hindu party. And this was the first time that politics in our city was being played on religious grounds. And this was a real wake-up call to, to many people who had lived harmoniously uh, where socioeconomic factors were so, so important, other factors that are important, but not because, no, I, I vote for Labour and you vote for Conservatives because of who we are as a faith. Yeah, and, and this was a, a, a proactive attempt by the BJP, Narendra Modi's party, and his supporters to reach out into the UK. There were various groups like uh, British Hindu and Indian Votes Matter was one, Conservative Friends of India was another, and the Overseas Friends of BJP, who you referenced. And between them, they announced that there would be 70 Labour candidates who were targeted in the 2019 election. And obviously those with a, a significant minority population, a significant Indian heritage population in the area. That was the first time then in 2019 when you'd seen directly the politics of India seeking to become embroiled. In yeah, sorry to interrupt. I think there'll probably be an incident before that, a couple of years before that. Uh, we have a, a diverse community and there was an application put in for a mosque. And I remember very vividly because I was on holiday and I got a call, uh, which was, I think, at the end of 2017 or early 2018, which was obviously a couple of years before the election. Now building of a or, or an application to convert a building into a prayer hall or a madrasa can have legitimate objections. If somebody wanted to build a prayer hall next to me or a, even a mosque next to me, I may have legitimate objections on the grounds of noise and the grounds of parking, etc., etc. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody can exercise their right to legitimately object. This application for turning an existing building into a, a school and a prayer center was in an area which has been traditionally, and I, and I hate to use these terms, but people like to refer it as a Hindu area. And that's not a term I would use, and I detest that term because I feel that ghettoizes our communities. But this was a term that I heard off the record from an elected official at the time, that this is a Hindu area, let them have a temple, there's a mosque, you can have it in your area. So we were being ghettoized by elected officials. But but that's by and by. The but just to go back to that one, sorry, yeah. the, the, the point about the opposition was that although you accept there can be legitimate op opposition to a, a mosque, mm -hmm. the opposition was not based on... No, I'm just going to go on to that. Right. So we had objections on the official Leicester City Council website, which to their shame, they kept up for days the objections primarily were from reams, there were screens of it from people from all over the country objecting that we cannot have a mosque in a Muslim area because A, we all know that they teach terrorism, we all know that they are extremists, we all know that our girls will not be safe when you have Muslim men in these areas. And we do not need mosque near a temple they can go in their area, we'll stay in our area. We don't want any more trouble. They cause enough trouble. And I'm reading off the official list here. Uh, we have got enough trouble with them around the, around the country. Uh, we don't want any more trouble around here. And, and this was just unbelievable because this was an official, blatant, there was no hiding the fact 
Uh, not that that's a good thing, but there was no hiding the fact that the objection was solely made. Uh, and, and a lot of this, uh, because people were, because it was a mosque, and a lot of these objections were not even from people from Leicester. The dresses were in London. This was a concerted effort by an organization that was saying, look, tell the council we do not want this mosque to be built. And eventually uh, it didn't get uh, turned into a mosque. Mm. To go back to the political point, in case people think that you are exaggerating that in any way, before the 2019 election, the Conservative Party itself appealed to the BJP and asked it to not seek to interfere in the UK election. So this wasn't just a, a myth or a belief amongst Muslims in Leicester. This was something that the Conservative Party itself recognised. At the same time, there have been Conservative MPs. Indeed, there's been a Labour MP, Barry Gardner, who, to one degree or another, have all been accused of being too close to Modi and the BJP. Uh, that certainly has been the case, and even our would have been new uh, prime minister and uh, our home secretary have links uh, to India. Look, we, we're in a society now. I'm sure all your listeners are aware that India is a large, one of the largest economies in the world. It has superseded uh, our, our UK's economy. Our prime minister, uh, our ex prime minister, went to India recently. He was inundated by Muslim organisations, human rights organisations, to raise with his counterpart the, the offences that were being carried out against minorities but he was in no strength or no position or not willing to raise this issue uh, and we are in that situation where we need to trade with this country uh, and I know we're detracting from the violence in Leicester here but he couldn't raise this so we are somehow hand-tied to raise issues because we do not want to upset our very powerful uh, allies. So that's some of the background. It's very difficult, isn't it, I suppose, when you've got young men, and to some extent, without sounding kind of too reactionary about it, some young men being young men. It's difficult, isn't it, to disentangle that from these kind of political forces. Something you mentioned earlier intrigues me as well. I mean, clearly in an area like East Leicester, which is attracted migrants for generations there will be a churn if you like of migrants as people establish themselves they'll perhaps make a little bit of money get a better job and move on to what's seen as a more prosperous area of the city and i'm sure that's happened in east leicester as well and you talked about some of the newer arrivals to east leicester not being sensitive to the cultural norms in an area where you may have had Hindus and Muslims, but the Hindus would respect the cultural traditions of the Muslims and the Muslims would respect the traditions of the Hindus. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one of the reasons maybe is initially in the 70s and the 80s, most of the migrants that arrived into that area had the same journey from India to Africa, uh, from East Africa, Central Africa to Leicester. Uh, that was a trajectory. We spoke the same language. Uh, and we had very similarities in our culture. And when you do share a language, you share a lot of similarities. Uh, and this community comes from a different part of India. They speak a different dialect, although they do speak uh, Gujarati. They are traditionally from a fishing background. And they've landed at a time where we've had Brexit. They've landed at a time where we've got a cost of living crisis. We've landed at a time where they've had COVID. 
And I'm sure you were aware during lockdown that there were factories operating in Leicester uh, with a lot of migrant workers and, and, and poor laborers. And this is the whole area we're talking about. So the, the, that, is the, that is the factor. Now, this community, because they haven't lived with the African journey with with other faiths and with other communities, they've always lived in isolation with their own communities, are suddenly uh, living with a wider community base. Now, again, I want to reinforce um, 95% of these people uh, are absolutely going to make it. They're going to go through the immigrant journey. They're going to progress, hopefully, and make it successful. But this is a real difficult period of time, and they've been caught up with this. Now, we've had the violence in Leicester, Initially, it caught the national attention after a cricket match, uh, and it was reported as between India and Pakistan, and that was the cause of it. India and Pakistan have been playing cricket for decades. One wins, the other loses. There's always a little bit of cheering, a little bit of banter. It never, in my knowledge, has erupted to violence in our city. In fact, majority of the people in Leicester of Muslim heritage are from India, so there are a lot of them who follow cricket support India. Okay, in this particular incident, there was anti-Pakistani chanting. We have a very small Pakistani community who I'm sure found that very offensive, but there was no Pakistani retribution to that chanting. On the day, the individual that got attacked, which your listeners may be aware of, whilst the uh, the, the victorious uh, supporters of the India team were chanting anti-Pakistani slogans, the person they actually beat up, which started to get this uh, story in the national media was a Sikh gentleman. He wasn't even Muslim. He mm. happened to be there. He uh, he got uh, he asked them to stop. The narratives uh, vary, but he got beaten up very badly. Police got assaulted as well. So that will never instigate two, three weeks of rioting. Cricket will not have that in our city. Pakistani Muslim narrative is a narrative again being played out if you look at the Indian news channels because it fits their narrative that the Pakistanis are oppressing the, the, the Hindus, that that is not the case. And you've said something in that that's really fascinating to me, that the first wave of arrivals, as it were, or the 1970s arrivals, these were people, whether they were Hindu or Muslim, they were people whose heritage was in the Gujarat, is that right? In that's Gujarat. correct, yes. But they had also, they were, what, Kenyan Asians, as they're sometimes referred to, Ugandan? Ugandan, Kenyans, oh. uh, Malawi would probably be the main three countries in Leicester. So as as well as their religious divide, as it were, then, they had the shared cultural heritage of India and the shared cultural heritage of having been Indian in Africa. So there was a lot to bind them. And you're suggesting that a, a more recent group of uh, people who've come to Leicester have come from a, a different part of Gujarat. They obviously haven't had that historical journey, that shared journey, and just perhaps, it's some of them anyway, just not as sensitive to these nuances of feeling, that the ways in which people have traditionally just kind of got on with each other and accepted the differences and and perhaps made accommodation without even mentioning it for the differences between them. That's certainly a factor, but this uh, also some of these members of the new community have come to this country from an India which is in the fervour of uh, nationalism and RSS. So they have come with the background of supremacy, and that is what the youngsters 
in this area that have had confrontation of the Muslim community feel is the attitude that some of these youngsters from the new community is bringing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I will talk more about the RSS and the BJP and, and the history in India because I, I think this is fascinating and new, certainly to many listeners. I, I think it should only be pointed out as a point of fairness, though, that certainly some of the videos I've seen on social media around this have involved young Muslim men making it very clear that they and their community, in inverted commas, will not be pushed around. So some of this posturing, some of this aggression would, if you were a, a peace-loving and law-abiding Hindu, would, would put fear into you. It certainly would, uh, and that's undeniable. And when, uh, unfortunately, hate raises his ugly head, there's an element that comes along which has nothing to do with the initial issue because they just come along uh, and, and, and fan the flames even further. And as you, you've alluded to slightly, their social media, uh, inaccurate social media postings have caused unnecessary fear, tension and aggression uh, is the truth to be told. But if, if, if I may uh, just narrate, just before the cricket match and the anger that was within the Muslim community, uh, as I've been explained to and having spoken to the people on the ground, there were incidences of physical attacks against Muslim individuals. So in May of this year... On these particular incidents, perhaps yeah. we, as these may be live cases, <laughs> let, let's not go into them if you don't mind. No, I don't mind at all. But there was more to it than the cricket yeah. match. And, and it wasn't just an eruption of antagonism and violence from Muslim youth. Let, let, let me put it this way then. Yeah, there, there, were, there were incidents that you believe were hate crimes perpetrated against Muslims that the police did not treat as seriously as you believe they should, did not treat them as hate crimes. Yeah, there was a catalogue of failures. Uh, they weren't addressed as hate crimes and these were people who were uh, physically assaulted that they claim was on the back of after being asked what their religion was. Uh, I should say, by the way, I've been in touch with Leicestershire Police. They say uh, they are taking the matter of the disturbances extremely seriously. They say they are actively engaged in conversations with the community and they are listening to their concerns. And they would say it's not a fair comment to say that previous indiscretions were ignored. They say, although we have to respect how the people feel in the local area, and we are doing everything we can to keep people safe. That's from uh, Leicestershire Constabulary. So I just want to put their side of the story as well. But to go back to the origins of the RSS and this particular kind of nationalism in India, is it the case that, and it sounds like it from what you've said, that the RSS predates the rise of the BJP, whose success has been a relatively recent phenomenon in Indian politics? Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. Uh, the BJP would be the political wing of the RSS. The RSS itself is a relatively recent phenomenon, and um, it was formed at the time of colonialism, and it was a result of colonialism, and it was when India was finding its feet, and the narrative was out there that, you know, you have a state for every other religion, uh, we don't have a state for Hindus, so therefore India should be for Hindu, Hindustan, the land for the Hindus. So that was that ideology, whereas 
the forefathers or the foreparents of India at independence were passionate that India should be a secular country and it should be for all and for all religions, which has made it the motherland, Mother India. But the RSS opposed that ideology. And hence, as Mahatma Gandhi was a proponent of unity, and, and we know everything that Mahatma Gandhi stood for, was assassinated, who up till this point was seen as the villain of the peace. But now recently, BJP members have addressed him with a level of reverence. Why the change? Well, it fits in with the narrative that India should be for Hindus. And the reason why Gandhi was assassinated, because he opposed that view. So this is now the, the policy, not the official policy, but the, the feelings and the motion that in India should be for mainly for the Hindu community. And I know that from my reading around it that the RSS took inspiration from fascism in World War II, from the Italian fascists in, in particular. And then the BJP then, and it, and it grows as this kind of nationalist organisation then, which which has, I guess, tentacles all the way through India, various sporting organisations, various offshoots of the RSS. And at some point then, on Narendra Modi's rise to power, he taps into this sentiment and allies himself to the RSS. And that really is what ensures his success at the ballot box. Is that right? It's a complex discussion. I mean, but let's take it back that before Mr. Modi became the Prime Minister of India, he was actually banned from the United States of America because of the views that he had held and the links he had to the massacres in Gujarat where there was indiscriminate killings of Muslims uh, in the Strait of Gujarat, which is where he was uh, the minister of. So he has gone from an individual that was banned in America to lauded in America, and he has always taken this nationalistic view, um, which has, around the world, there was a rise of nationalism. He was along with that crest of that wave and has risen to to the fervour of the people wanting identity uh, of, of their nationalism. And so the BJP is now the dominant party in India and pursuing a, a policy of aggressive nationalism in that country. And as we're seeing, you believe, on the streets of Leicester, that pursuit of aggressive nationalism globally as well. And it fits into a broader narrative that we cover a lot on the Byline Times, this global spread of nationalism, of extreme nationalism, if you like, not not love of one's country in a simple way, not patriotism, if you like, but a hard-edged nationalism that is exclusive of other peoples. Uh, the, the main, con- not the main concern, but I'm, I'm genuinely devastated what's happening in Leicester. Nearly everybody you speak to has this, oh my God, what's happened? We were such a good city. We need to get a hold of this. But unfortunately, this has the real potential of spreading like a virus to other parts of our city where innocent people will be affected. And I think the authorities will need to really take note and take action in order. What to do is a different conversation, but mm. this could spread up and down the country. But not only that, the amount of press requests uh, and interest in this story is global. 
I mean, it's already out there in India. The narrative is out there, as, as I mentioned earlier, that Hindus are being persecuted by Pakistanis in, in Leicester. They're not safe in India. So that narrative is being played out there. And the narrative I've seen from Indian newspapers as well, you're, you're right, Shakat, but beyond that, it's they're being Hindus have been persecuted by Islamists, yeah. you know, the, give, giving the actions of some... Muslims, if you like, some Muslim hotheads, for want of a better word, giving it an edge of political ideology, which I suspect in the main isn't present amongst the, uh, the young Muslims there. But, yeah, but it my, fits their narrative. It fits yeah, their yeah. narrative. Just one thing I want to say, though, in terms of that spread, is that I know that a number of people were arrested from my home city of Birmingham, which has a significant Muslim population. Uh, less of a, a Hindu population, but again, like Leicester, is a city renowned for its tolerance, for its diversity, for its multi-faith and no-faith sense of community. And there has to be a fear that a city like mine, that places like Slough to the west of London, may end up becoming infected by all this. That is the fear. Uh, we have to work really, really hard. We work very hard today. We had a unity statement out with the faith leaders. We are meeting with the uh, communities. To, we're meeting with the authorities tomorrow. A lot of work is being done. Unfortunately, social media, which can be your friend, can be a real enemy in this as well. So we're calling out to anybody not to be posting untruths and posting things that bring people together rather than further apart. Um, Shock. A really interesting question, actually, from uh, Ben McBean. Uh, I just welcome your thoughts on this. He says, "Is any of this magnified by the British nationalism we've experienced in the UK?" By which he means, I presume, Brexit and the, the rise, if not of British nationalism, then certainly of English nationalism in the years since the EU referendum. Uh, I think we, we so that is a great question, and I think we did touch upon the fact that there, when Mr. Modi came into power in India, it was on a wave of nationalism across Europe and, of course, uh, America as well. We now have a situation in in the UK, unfortunately, and it's not directly answering the question, but the far right are now looking at the situation in Leicester and aligning themselves with the far-right Hindu nationalists, because your enemy is my enemy, and it's the commonality of nationalism that is uniting them against a foe that they've had uh, animosity for for a very long period of time. In fact, you've answered my next question by failing to answer my last question, because that was the other thing I was going to touch on, which is this whole question of the British far right, which really is is the English far right, even though they sometimes have the, the word Britain in their names, the English far right have clearly leapt onto this bandwagon via social media of Islamophobia. It plays perfectly to one of their key agendas. It certainly does. And if anybody follows social media and seen the posts that Tommy Robinson et al are making on the issue, it is frightening because if that coalesces, uh, the consequences could become, uh, it could explode even further. In terms of the big forces that we're talking about, this is not a two sides debate. It may well be that there are, and undoubtedly is, I think, that there are idiots on both sides at the moment on the streets in Leicester. But in terms of some of the forces that are driving this, this is not a 
two equal sides kind of situation. I don't think the evidence suggests that. I think there is this particular issue of Hindu nationalism from India, which is, to some extent anyway, on your evidence, Shokat, stirring up people. Uh, but I did try to engage with people in the Hindu community in Leicester. Not been successful so far, left various messages, but I will pursue that because I'm very keen that we should hear all facets of a conversation. But it's been really fascinating to hear from you as well. Obviously, you're a Muslim and you have a Muslim perspective on the world, but you've done everything you can, I think, to present the story in as fair and equitable way as you can. I'm really grateful for your time at a period when I know you've been in great demand by various media outlets and you've chosen to be on Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast and we're very grateful to you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. That's uh, Shokat Adam from MEND who are in Leicester. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to the Byline Radio or if you're listening on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast. If you want to support our work, encourage us to have more of these kind of conversations then please take out a subscription to The Byline Times. It's our monthly newspaper. And if you take out a subscription, you not only get a great paper, but you're also helping to fund Byline Radio and The Byline Times podcast. Check out details of how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again soon. Take care now. Cheers. Bye-bye.